Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. While we, uh, while we dive in today, we're going to be in two different places in the scripture. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So that's where, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened. And then we're going to jump over to 1 Kings chapter 19. And that's where uh, Elijah is running from Queen Jezebel. And um, I know it's like, what do those have anything to do with? Well, uh, I, I believe there's some stuff that the Lord has spoken to me this week and we'll, we'll put forward. I do want to go ahead and ask you to be praying uh, for me because um, I, I want, I, I feel like I'm not sure yet the direction for our next series, but, but I've been sensing that uh, it has to deal with spiritual warfare. And this has just been on me for a few weeks now. And, um, and so here's the, here's the thing about, about uh, what I do. Um, as we begin to uh, dive into the word, the enemy manifests himself because the, the word of God points out and offends the spirit world. Are you following? And uh, so it's kind of like one of those things that it's like, man, I ain't looking for a fight. You know what? Are you following me? Just for a second. This is, I'm not in the message yet. I'm just uh, this precursor to you asking you to pray for me. Because I'm like, man, I just, I I don't want to fight. In the famous words of Michael Jackson, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I wish that we were not called to this warfare, you know, but the enemy is, is, is a destroyer. He's an attacker. He's a thief. And so as, you know, if I go into this series, I know that warfare will intensify. Are you following me? And I'm, I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to do it. However, We're at all different stages in our faith, and that's okay, because we all came to the Lord at different times. And then there are some of us uh, in the house that we have a propensity to learn at a quicker rate or a slower rate, and that's okay. We've got to be okay with people in the body of Christ always being at different places. Are you following me? And so I pray that God would give us as a house a grace upon those who may not be at the same level as you are. Listen to me. Somebody who might be at, a, a, at I don't know if this is the best way to say it. I'm going to say it and pray Holy Spirit clears it up for me. Somebody who might be at a, at a, a lesser understanding of spiritual things, that we have a greater degree of grace for them. And then somebody who's at a higher level of experience in the Lord, that we uh, have, uh, that we don't have some kind of uh, pride or something, or our image doesn't feel less than. 
I am totally okay with being in a crowd of people that are greater in the Lord than I am. You know why? Because I need those people to show me how to get there. Like, because there's, de- there's a deeper place than I am right now. We're all at different places. So anyway, that's the grace that I pray over our church, all right? So I'm, I'm fixing to pray that grace over our church. So Holy Spirit, Spirit of grace, I pray that you would rest on this house so that God, as we, as we are wherever we are in our journey, that we would be graceful to those who are not at the same level that we're at, And those who are above us, maybe, in a different level in the spirit realm, that they have been in it longer or they've matured faster or further than we have, than I have, that God, I would be confident enough in who I am and your love for me that I would not look at them with some kind of animosity or, or any kind of ill feeling. Lord, that we would be confident in the calling that you've placed on our life and that, God, we would operate in the grace that we would want to receive. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So today I want to talk to you about my personal Pentecost. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was not our personal Pentecost. That's a historical event that happened 2,000-ish years ago, all right? So it's documented in Scripture well, we understand what happened there. For those of us who have heard this before, we, we know that. And here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about your and my personal Pentecost. That was somebody else's Pentecost. We have a benefit that we reap from somebody else's Pentecost, all right? Somebody will have a benefit to reap from your personal Pentecost. And so here's the main idea that I want to leave with you today and we'll dive in and and dig this out is the purpose of my private time is to reveal the plan of God and the power to produce that plan. I want to read it again because I want you to get this. The purpose of my private time, everybody knows what private time is? For those of you who might not, or you, you know, it's ambiguous to you, because again, we're all at different places. The, the private time, that's that time where you get away and you get alone with God. Nobody else is around. You can talk to God how you want to. You don't have to put on any show. I, at one time as I was growing in my faith, listen to me, church. One time as I was growing in my faith, I was praying, and the Lord just quickly and quietly in that small voice that he does, he's like, why are you praying that way? And I'm like, because, Lord, this is the way, you know, that I've seen other people pray. And he's like, just talk to me. And in that little beautiful private time, the, the Lord's like, you're not trying to impress anybody here. You know, you're not, you're not in front of Congress, you know. I'm just, I'm telling you, if, if I was the president, one time my daughter told me, she said, Dad, you would make a good president. And I'm like, what? Kids think their dad would be great at everything. And she's like, no, I'm serious. You would make a good president. She's like, because you really care about people. You really care about what's right. You care about these things. And I'm, I'm sitting there, so I'm, I'm listening. You know, next thing I know, I see myself being, uh, you know, inaugurated. You know, I'm like, I'm the president. And I'm like, 
No, I probably wouldn't because I wouldn't have that Ronald Reagan-esque amazing oratory skills. I wouldn't have that. But I'm like, sometimes I wish that our politicians would just do that. I don't have a teleprompter. I'm just talking as a leader to you. It might not come out pretty. It might not be eloquent. I'm just talking through. You know, sometimes that's what we need. And that's what God was telling me. Look, just talk to me. Just it's me and you. There's nobody else here that you have to impress. And so it changed the way, man, that I pray. It changed my private time with God. When I'm alone with God, you know, at, at, there were times in my early days where I tried to fool God because I was feeling a certain way. And so I'm like, I can't let him know that I feel this way. I'm praying. I'm, y'all, I'm, I am not exaggerating this, but I'm telling you, I, got, I came to the Lord at 15. I didn't have a lot of incredible discipleship when I was at the early days of my faith. I had to figure a lot of this out by myself. And so I'm going in there, and then as I'm, as I'm praying, I'm praying in this certain way when in my heart I have an unconfessed feeling. And... It's like the Lord, he's just talking to me and he's like, you know I know it's there, right? You know you can't hide anything from me. I see everything. Not in a, I caught you, but I care for you. There's nothing you can have. Tell me about it. Tell me. And I eventually got to the place where I would tell God I'm mad at you. Because I've been mad at him and praying to him while I'm mad at him. Now I understand. That's my private time. It's me and God. And when I'm mad at him, I let him know. Father, I don't like this. I don't like your plan. I think your plan stinks. I know you got it figured out, but I don't have it figured out. I know you see the end, but I only see right now. I don't like this. It doesn't feel good. I wish you would have done it a different way. I don't even like some of the word. Woo! What? If you're being honest, you don't either. There's some stuff in here that I don't like. Nevertheless, it is his will for us, and he knows best, and at the end of the day, it's like we acquiesce, we submit to the word, and so my, that private time is so important for us to spend with God. So back to the declaration, the purpose of my private time, when I get away from God, or, or, or when I get away for my time with God, It's to reveal his plan. But God doesn't just reveal a plan to us. He also provides the power, the dunamis, that dynamite, heavy-duty, extra-strength power that produces that plan. All right? I want you to look at Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's getting ready to leave the earth, go on his next assignment, And he says, and now I'll send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. 
But he says, stay here in the city. He's talking about Jerusalem. He says, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. What he's basically doing is he's basically saying, listen, I'm leaving. Holy Spirit is coming, but stay here and wait. Stay here in the city. Well, how long? Well, that's for the father to say. Like, I don't even know when the return, my second coming is. I, like, I don't know. There's things that Jesus doesn't know. But you stay there. And so he says, go and stay. Go and wait. Can I tell you something, man? If you don't know it already, our people, we are not good at waiting, are we? Like, we are not good at waiting. In this age of information and high-speed internet, I'm like, I'm telling you, Shay and I, when we got fiber, we thought we were, fiber, you know, internet, we thought, oh my gosh. But I tell you what, there are times where the fiber is too slow for me. And I'm like, come on, it's taking three seconds. But I remember back in the day when it used to be like, remember that? And it's like you're waiting three minutes to even connect to the internet. But we don't like waiting. And Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to wait there. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where this is happening. Are you there? On the day of Pentecost... Pentecost, this is a feast the Jews celebrated. It's about to take on a new meaning, all right? And so on the day of Pentecost, this is 50 days after the resurrection, penta meaning five or 50. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was the sound from heaven, like this roaring mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, known languages, as the Spirit gave them this this ability, as the Spirit gave them this ability. It wasn't their language, it was a known language, but it was some other language that they had not learned, and the Spirit made that possible. Verse 5, at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed, and they said, things like, how can this be? These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking our native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and uh, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs, We all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. That's what made it miraculous is that they heard these things, that they were were praising God, but they were doing it in the languages so that the people that were there visiting, aliens, uh, uh, tourists that were there could hear it in their own language. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. And so we see what's happening here is something powerful and supernatural is happening. Listen, when Jesus told the disciples there were about 100, well, there were 120 of them, 
And they go to Jerusalem, and they're waiting in Jerusalem. They're waiting, and they, you understand. Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody say, I want you to go and wait? Well, you don't, and you, they don't tell you what it's for, so you're waiting. They're wanting to surprise you, and you're like, I don't really know why I'm here. I know it's, it, it, it's, hopefully it's something good, but you don't know what's about to happen. You don't know what the surprise is, and God forbid if it's something people take you in and ask you to wait, and you literally don't know if it's going to be good or bad. You ever been in that situation? I have many times in my life. It's not fun. And so here we look at this, and it's, it's a time where they don't know what this is going to happen. They, uh, or they don't, it's, a, it's a time where they don't know what's going to happen. And so they don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know exactly when it's going to show up. They don't know if they're going to like it or dislike it. And so I believe that there are five things that, that we can learn just from this, all right? Look. First of all, there's the setting, and it is a setting of unity. In verse 1, it says that they were all in one place. That's more than just like, hey, they were just in one room. No, it means they literally were in unity. They were all there for the same purpose. They were all there for the same reason. They were all there looking for this anticipation of some, something incredible called the promise. They don't, they don't know what that looks like, but they're there waiting for this, and they are unified in their waiting. And so they go, and they, they don't just go and hang out for a little while. They hang out until. That's important, guys. So look, the setting is a setting of unity. When we are talking about operating in the power and the presence, we're talking about unity. Listen, unity does not necessarily mean the absence of disunity. Follow me for a second. I say this all the time, but there's always somebody here who hadn't heard it. Unity is not simply the absence of disunity. Unity means that we are all on the same page. That we're, we know what's going on. That we're going the same direction. Listen to me. When, when we come into, whether it's we come into a place of worship, like today, we're in a place of worship. Just bear with me now. Because this is where, if you're not really listening well, if you're listening under the influence of, of like maybe a perception that you're listening through this through offense or hurt or whatever, this is where you can miss the truth that God's trying to release in the house. When we come into this room, if we are not all in one mindset, one accord, there can be resistance in the atmosphere. Earlier when we were, uh, when we were uh, worshiping, uh, and there's this breakthrough anointing that's still here, by the way. But Shay steps out and she says something to the effect, uh, if, if I can remember, because I was also praising and hearing at the same time. But uh, I can't remember fully how she said it, but she was addressing a resistance in the spirit. And you have to understand, if you're not careful, you'll take that personally. You'll take that personally. I had a person one time that I said, man, raise your hands. Come on, raise, let's raise our hands in the house. And I had a person to tell me, I don't feel like I'm raising my hands, so I'm not going to raise my hands just because you asked me to raise my hands. Oh, my friend, 
listen to me. It is not because you're standing there or sitting there and you're not doing it and I want you to do it. It's about us coming into unity. It's about us coming into agreement. It's about I'm pulling us in a direction, but if you come along and you pull, now if, you, if you're just walking beside me or I'm pulling and you're just standing and looking, I am pulling this thing by myself. Are you following me? But when we all get into one accord and it's like, come on, get your hands on it. All right. All right. And all right. One's pulling, another's pulling at a different time. And it's like, no, what do we say? All right, everybody on three, one, two. You ever had that one guy and that one guy was me. We going on three or after three? You know, like I, I was always that guy. And, but it's all about unity. So it's not about, it's not, please hear me, it's not about scolding the audience like, you know, your children or something. No, it's about us getting unified. It's about getting into, when we come in here, it's like truly, I'm just, I'm just teaching you now. When we come in here on Sundays, we ought to come in in a mindset, in a mindset. Can I tell you I've done that every time in my life? Absolutely not. It took me so long before I actually learned to do this. I thought I was going to get in the spirit once I got here at the house. But I'm telling you, service will be over or you'll miss prophetic things. See, every prophetic thing that happens does not come from my voice. It doesn't come from my lips Dude, God will be doing some prophetic things to you while you're in that seat speaking directly to you because nobody else in this room might need that. Only you need that. So Holy Spirit's revealing you. So it's really about coming into a unified mindset. The second thing is this. It's that we need to understand the difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude and isolation. Because, you know, they're different. Solitude is this thing where I'm, I'm going to, to be alone by myself so that I can focus on something. There's a purpose behind it. There's also a purpose behind isolation. But if we're not careful and we don't make God the center of this, what will happen is we'll isolate ourselves from others. This is really good, so don't miss it. We'll isolate ourselves from others. What will happen is we'll get offended. So what do we do? We isolate ourselves from people. Well, I'm telling you what, unless you took the Holy Spirit into that isolation so that it becomes solitude, what will happen is the enemy will encroach upon your isolation and he'll begin to pick you off. He will, if you don't believe me, hey, Pastor Rife, you're just making this up. Friends, just go read what happened when Jesus went into the, in, into the wilderness. Who showed up? Who showed up? The enemy. But the, the God of heaven was also there as well. But man, the enemy's going to show up. And, and I'm, I'm just telling you, I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I could be wrong. But I don't think the devil respects you more than he does Jesus. If he's going to show up and tempt the son of God and lie to him, bro, 
He is going to show up and he's going to tempt you and he's going to lie to you in your isolation. When you go into uh, isolation, you better make sure you take the Holy Ghost in there with you. Invite him in so that the enemy doesn't uh, come in and begin to wreak havoc in your life. So solitude and isolation, they're both good depending on what the purpose of us going into it is. So then there's the suddenly. The scripture says, and suddenly there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Suddenly, like wonder when it happened. Did it happen on a Tuesday at 3.45 p.m.? Like what, what, what was the exact moment? I don't know, but I do know this, that it was a God-appointed time. When you look throughout scriptures, you see these things like, and suddenly, or when the fullness of time had come. Listen, there's a timing. I do not like God's timing all the time. Sometimes he, he takes way too long for, for me personally. I'm like, God, can you speed it up? But God knows what he's doing. He knows the exact timing that things need to happen. And there are suddenlies. And listen, you might be in a time of testing. You might be in your time of trial or tribulation. But listen, if you'll just hold on, there's going to come a suddenly. There's going to, your time of testing is going to be turned into a testimony. Listen to me, my church. There's gonna, you, you might be going through it right now, but if you'll just be faithful, there is going, he's gonna suddenly, when you least expect it, God's going to turn it. I've witnessed this time and time and time and time again in my life. And guess what? You would think that it would get so easy that I would just be okay with it, but I never am. I never am. As many times as God has proven himself faithful to me, as many times as God has come through for me, I never am like, okay, God, I'm just okay. You just put it together when you feel like it. And I'm just going to sit over here, mind my own business. No, I get antsy. I get irritable. I get, you know, I get all these feelings inside. And that's why we have to take Holy Spirit into our private time so that when all of that stuff when the flesh begins to cringe and creep up, Holy Spirit can come in and, and weigh that stuff down by the power of his presence. But I promise you, there is a suddenly coming for some of you guys. There's a suddenly coming for some of you guys. Some of you guys have already begun to see some of this suddenly. You've been in a time of testing. You've been in a time of pressure. But there is a time where, boom, it's going to happen. And there's going to be an unleashing of God's promise. Just like this. <coughs> Just like this. The next thing is there's a sound. In the Old Testament, they called it the ruach of God, meaning the breath, the wind, the blast of God. In the New Testament, it's, it's, uh, it's I believe it's, uh, let me look at my notes right quick so I can get the pronunciation right. It's, um, it's nae, nae. And that is the same thing as Ruach in the, New in the Old Testament. Ruach, Na'e in the New Testament. It's the wind of God. There came the sound of a mighty rushing Na'e. And it came into the room. And that, that wind is the breath of God breathing something new. Listen, come on, man. Listen to me. Some of us in this place, we need breath of God blow into my life, God. It feels stale. It feels hot. The heat of criticism, the heat of, uh, of, of warfare, the friction. God, please just blow on it. 
Make it better. Just make it better, Jesus. We're like little children running to the Father. And it's like, just blow on it, Daddy. Blow on it. Blow on it. If we'll allow Holy Spirit, we'll blow his refreshing breath of God over our situation. All right, the next thing is this. The sight of fire. They saw what appeared, and, and, and you know, it's like, it appeared. They're trying to explain it. Like, what does it look like? I'll, the, the, the word tongue always bothered me in this. Now, I kind of have come to just be okay with it. But I'm like, God, why couldn't it have been a check mark over their head? Or it's tongues. Like, uh, I don't know what that looks like. But it's this flame, and they see it, and it's fire that appears and rests over each one. In our private time, the fire of God will rest on us. And here's the thing about fire. Fire consumes. It consumes all the burnable things. Like, what do we have in our life that we're like, like, let's just throw it into the fire, God. Just burn up. Come and burn up everything in me, God, that you, you, you don't want. Like, you know, there might be things that you don't want, but you do want. What the prayer really is, God, you burn up the things that you don't want. Because you might see things in me, and he probably will, God. You will see things in me that I actually want to keep. No, I want to hold that hurt. No, I want to hold these things. I, don't want, I want to hold this. I want to hold that. I want to hold on to this, this, this addiction or that problem or this or that identity. I want to hold on to those things. But it's like, God, just come burn me up. Just consume me. Consume everything, Father, that you want to release me from. But it, it cleanses. It consumes. Fire also does this. It causes new growth. Now, I'd never really seen this because they didn't do this back where I lived that I know of. But, but when I moved to Baldwin County, I noticed that there would be times where these uh, farmers and different uh, pieces of land, they would set them on fire. And man, that was the craziest thing that I've ever seen. Like, oh my gosh, these people, their woods are on fire. No, they're just burning it off. And it would burn off and we would, we would, live, we would drive down 64 and I would see those big, beautiful uh, pieces of land and they would just, you know, catch them all on fire. And they'd just walk off and leave it, you know. I caught the woods on fire one time at my house and I thought it was going to burn the house down. But you, but, you know, after a few, a week or so, two weeks, all of a sudden this beautiful green grass begins to grow. And fire causes, the fire of God will cause freshness in our life. And here's another thing. Fire will spread. If we are not careful... In the natural, you catch something on fire, man, it'll spread to something else. I got a really great story that I could tell there about the time I did catch my woods on fire next to my house, but I don't have time to tell that right now. Listen, when we have the fire of God in our life, I promise you, 
it will spread to others. It will spread to others. We were talking this morning but in our uh, pre-service rally of all of our volunteers, and uh, Trinity, was, one of our uh, children's workers, was telling us, like, the people, they say everywhere she's worked, they comment about her attitude, her personality, her smile. And that's one of those things where it's like, well, what is that? Well, the fire of God. When we have that fire of God that burns within us, like I'm telling you, it will spread. It'll change atmospheres. That's what it will do. It will change atmospheres. And then of course, there's the speech, the speech of the Holy Spirit. What happened on that day, on the day of Pentecost? They spoke in known languages. A lot of people use that to discredit the unknown languages of God. And they're like, well, on the day of Pentecost, it was known languages. It was no big deal. Are you kidding me? Like, if, if I were to say, Pastor Wesley, can you recite the Pledge of Allegiance in German? Oh, yeah. <laughs> can you do it in Russian? Can you do it in, are you following me? Like, no, it was a big deal because they didn't know those languages. But the speech of the Holy Spirit, and I don't understand why God uses tongues. I'm not God. I also don't understand why God uses gravity. I, 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 I know how it works, and I'm glad it does, or we'd be all floating off into space, and the whole universe would not ex, uh, be able to, exist and contain itself because it's a law. I don't know why God does some of the things that he does, but I can deduce from the goodness and the intelligence of God. If God has a law here and there's a reason and I can see it, but over here there's a reason, I don't know what it is and I cannot see it, I can deduce from all of these others that, oh, I don't understand that one, but I understand these and I see how it can work in a way I don't really know. So I'm just gonna accept it. All right, are you following me? And here's the deal about the speech. The speech, uh, tongues in Acts chapter 2 are intelligible tongues. They're known languages at that time in the world. After chapter 2, they're unknown languages. It's an unknown tongue, the tongue of heaven. In Acts chapter 19, which is about 25 years after the day of Pentecost, uh, we see Peter coming upon some believers. They didn't even know that there was such thing as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They didn't know anything about tongues, all right? So at Pentecost, known languages. After Pentecost, unknown languages. Because why? It was a different purpose. It was a different purpose from the day of Pentecost. Tongues in Acts chapter 2, they were not sought after. They weren't expected and they weren't encouraged. They were just there and boom, all of a sudden, Holy Spirit unleashes it. After chapter 2 in Acts, every time you hear about this, people are expecting it or they're being encouraged to be filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? In Acts chapter 2, this was a group experience for a specific person. Every time after that, it's more of a personal, even though there are people that it happened in a group setting, it's a personal experience for 
the believer. In Acts chapter 2, we see one thing, but after Acts chapter 2, we see it manifest in a different way. And this is a sign, not the only sign, but it is a sign of the power of Holy Spirit working in our life. We can try to discredit all day long, but you cannot have a thorough, intelligent understanding of Scripture and discredit one part of Scripture while trying to condense God down to our peanut-sized brain and understanding. It's like taking the infinite God of the universe and trying to reduce him down to the understanding of a toddler. Not even a toddler, man. I don't want to serve that kind of God, and I don't think you do either. Let's look at uh, 1 Kings. All right, flip over there. 1 Kings. I thought I had it saved in my Bible. Chapter 19. All right. So what we're going to do while you're uh, finding that, what we're going to do is I want to jump over here to, uh, to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want us to look at one of my favorite prophets of the Old Testament, Elijah. Now, um, 19, and we'll start reading uh, verse 3. All right, listen, uh, I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, okay? I'm going to read a lot of scripture, and then we'll close out. Um, what happened, Elijah was just upon Mount Carmel. He had just killed all the prophets of Baal. The queen and king Ahab and Jezebel, they are ticked. And we know Jezebel from scripture. We know she ruled that roost. She was the real ruler and authority. She is furious and she's told, sent word to Elijah. I swear to Baal, if the thing that has not happened to you by tomorrow this time that you did to the prophets of Baal. She's like, I am after you. This is where we pick up. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid. Wow. The mighty man of God on Mount Carmel. Listen, church family, can you listen to me? This is the power of the enemy. Listen, you need to understand where I am. God is the most powerful. But you need to understand, I do not underestimate the power of my enemy. The enemy is so powerful that the chief prophet in all of Israel who just had killed all of the prophets of Baal, well, God comes down, consumes, but you get it, and, and he killed all the prophets of Baal. I think I would be strutting around like a big duck in a big pond. I'd, I'd, I'd be like, try to mess with me, you know. Look at me and my God, but not him. The enemy's voice is so powerful. And there's a lesson to be learned here after a mountaintop experience. Oh, my God. Now is not the time to kick off your shoes and to get all comfortable. After a mountaintop experience, you watch. You watch for the enemy to come and try to attack. And it says in verse 3 that he was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his uh, servant there. Then he went on alone. So what is he doing? He's isolating. All right. He's going into solitude. He, he 
he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down uh, under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer before. I have. I'm serious. I've prayed that prayer. God, I'm just finished. If you want to take me right now, I would love to go. If you've never prayed that prayer, it's a miserable place. It's a sad prayer. Because it lets you know how terrible your circumstances are. That it's like, God, I'm tired. I can't tell you how many times. I, I know I've prayed this prayer at least twice because I've said these words. God, I've spent my whole life, and you, this is how you repay me. Like, I've spent my whole life. I went to college. I paid for that. I, I didn't get a whole lot of freebies. Like, I paid for it. Like, I know you gave me the money. I know you gave me the strength, but paid for that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a job that, you know, I don't get paid the salary of an architect or an engineer or a, you know, or a doctor or a lawyer. Like, I could be doing something else. I could punch a clock that's nine to five. I don't have to be doing this. I did this because I love you, God. And this is how, this is what, I, it, it kind of seems like a raw deal, God. I've been there. I prayed that prayer. This is where the prophet is. He says in verse five, then he, oh, this is the goodness of God right here. This is the goodness of God. Oh, whiny but rife, off in his private time, sulking, licking his wounds. Look at God show up. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. Look around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate, and he drank, and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead will be too much for you. Oh, my gosh, man, God is just providing. He's got a plan. Remember, the main point is the purpose of my private time is to reveal God's plan for my life and provide. God's, he's got a plan. He doesn't know what plan it is yet. God hadn't revealed that, but he's providing for him. He's providing for him. And listen to this. He says, so, um, uh, verse eight, so he got up and he ate and he drank and the food uh, gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. Am I the only one left? And now they're trying to kill me too. Oh my God. I have prayed that prayer so many times. God, I'm trying so hard and nobody's with me, Lord. I'm trying. And they're, they're killing me, God. They're slandering me. They're hurting me. You know, I, I have prayed this so many times. All right. And so, uh, this is what the Lord says. I love how God does it. He, God is so funny sometimes. God don't even acknowledge his whining, you know. 
He's like, he's not even, let me, let me, let me wipe your nose. None, none of that. God's just like, go out and stand before me on the mountain. The Lord told him, and as Elijah went there, the Lord passed by and a mighty storm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. All right, just stop for a second because there's an earthquake there's, there's wind, there's fire, all of these things look mighty and awesome. And I'm telling you what, guys, please hear me. It's not the conference that you go to that's almighty. It's not the conference that you go to that's your perfect uh, speaker. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me, church family. Shay and I have been to those conferences we have, we have sat in the audience where these great speakers, and then we have seen on Netflix these same people that are, that they're doing documentaries on at how backwards and messed up and living in sin these, these leaders are. Are you following me? Like, it's discouraging when you, because... I'm telling, listen, y'all, meaning the people at Destiny and hopefully every other local church, y'all have an ability that, that is not, that very few people have. You get to see a pastor up close. You get to see leaders up close. You get to touch them. You get to uh, go out to lunch with them. You get to have audience with them. But I'm telling you what, there are so many believers, uh, pastors out there that it's like believers, they don't ever have access to that. And so what am I saying? That's fire, man. They are better speakers than I am. They are better, they are better orators than Wesley is. They are better in all of those ways. However, it's a fire. It's an earthquake. My God, it is exciting. The house is roaring and everything. And you see on Netflix that, you know, man, these people are bankrupt spiritually in their life. Got to understand. People you quote on Facebook, I'm not preaching something to you that I'm not preaching to my people that you quote on Facebook. You need to investigate those people because I'm telling you what, you, you're putting out a great little quote and inspiration there of a whoremonger. Are you following me? Are you following me? I'm, I'm just saying, it doesn't mean that that quote is not true doesn't mean that that quote is, does not still inspire. But what might be happening, you might be looking for God in a fire and God ain't there. You might be looking for God in the, in the wind and God ain't there. You might be looking because there's a shaking going on up front, but God is not there. Look at this. It's good. It is good. I ain't lying to you. It's good. But this is because Holy Spirit, this is a download from Holy Spirit. All right, help me. Where was I? Give me 13. All right. So he says, go, go out. Verse 12. 
All right, verse 12 is where I'm picking up. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. So we've seen the fire, the earthquake, the wind, but now there's a gentle whisper. And I want you to look in verse 13 at Elijah's posture. When he heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. You know why he did that, right? No man can say the face of God and live. He's like, I know this is God. I'm covering my face. He goes out into the presence of the Lord. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Look at that. Why are you here? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a powerful and it's an important question. It's the second question time he asked this question. And yet, Elijah answers it the same. He said, I've zealously served the Lord. It's like a broken record. But the Lord, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down their altars, killed your altars, killed every one of your prophets. Every, look, look at this now. Oh my God, this is so good. He said, he killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Listen, unless you read further and you know how this story ends, you'll just listen to that. He's saying things that are not true. He doesn't know they're untrue. They are, oh, listen to me, church family. He totally believes what he's saying, and it's a lie. My God, I've been serving you all these days, and look at how you're treating me. I'm the only one, the only one, the only one in Israel that is left. Not true. You're saying things that are not true. Thank God that God was in with him in his time of isolation. Thank God God was in this time of solitude. Here's the beautiful thing about Elijah. Many times what we will do when fire hits and earthquake and all hell is breaking loose in our life, we'll run and we'll run literally away from God. But Elijah is running to God. He's running into the wilderness and he's running towards the Lord and he's going, ends up at the mountain of God where, you know, God gave the Ten Commandments. But he's literally running into God. Listen, whatever, oh, this is so good. I hope that those of you who are watching and then those who will receive, see this afterwards that you receive the revelation. So many times when it's, just coming apart in our world. We will run to the wrong things. We will run to the wrong things. We'll run to the wrong people. We'll run to the wrong things. We'll run to the wrong places. It's like, man, that old song. Where do I go when there's no one left to turn to? Who do I lean on when there's no foundation stable? And I don't know, but I know it goes. I go to the rock, I know he's able, I go to the rock. We go to the rock of our foundation. We go back to the word of God and invite Holy Spirit into those private times. All right, let's, let's, uh, let me jump back to this so we can wrap it up. Maybe if, uh, uh, Melissa, would you just come and play for me? So, verse 15 then the Lord God told him, go back the same way you came. I ain't going that way now. He says, go back the same. Nope, I, I ain't going that way. Jezebel is that way. I'm not going back that way. 
If you don't want to go back the same way, it means you're still running from that. Listen, we don't run from anything. Listen to me, my friend. We don't run from anything. We don't run from anything. We don't run from anything. Hear me and hear me well. Don't you let the enemy intimidate you. Don't you let the enemy intimidate you. You stand up. Everybody's going to have to stand up to their Jezebel. Everybody's going to have to stand up to their Ahab. Everybody's going to have to stand up at some point, even to the enemy himself when he appears to you in your wilderness. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here, Elijah? He don't know. I'm just trying to get away. I'm just trying to get to a safe place. You better make sure your safe place includes the Holy Spirit because you know what? Hear me, church. You better make sure your holy place includes the Holy Spirit because if it doesn't, the devil is waiting for you there. If you don't, the enemy is waiting for you there. And guess what he will do? He will speak lies to you. He will also speak truth to you. He will also speak truth to you. What did he speak to Jesus? But he twisted it. That Leviathan lying spirit. See, the enemy never comes to you and says anything to you that is so blatantly false. You would pick up on that immediately. Doesn't take a rocket science to pick out a lie. What he will do is he will take truth and that spirit will twist it. And if you're not careful will buy it why are you here man he was running from Jezebel there's times that we got to run from our problems we're just beat up we tired we're aching but make sure that we're also running to him at the same time all right look at this go back the same way travel to the wilderness could, could you? There's so much. I could just take this one thing and just preach it. Hey, uh, let me get this straight, God. You want me to go back the same way I just came? Could you at least make it a paradise that I travel back through? Could I take the scenic route for God's sake? No, you're going to go back the same way and you're going to go through a wilderness. Now, do you remember when I said earlier there are parts of this that I don't like there's an example now if I had my way I would say okay you don't have to face that and by the way I'm going to give you a new convertible to travel in there's money in your pocket and you're going to get to go a much prettier beach route this time not how God said it what? go back the same way you face that devil you face that devil. You're going to go through the same wilderness because there's one thing going through. Oh, listen to me, church. There's one thing when you go through a wilderness, when the wilderness was brought upon you by the enemy. It's a whole different trip when you walk through that wilderness and you're going through it with the power of God as he directed you. There is a confidence. The first way when you walk through that wilderness, it's scary. It's kind of frightful and unfamiliar terrain. But the next time you've 
gone, I've been here before. Are you following me? I've been here before. This don't scare me as much as it did the first time. This is not my first, come on now, this is not my first rodeo. This ain't the first time I've been on this train. I'm familiar with the tactics of the enemy now. And you can bark and you can snort and you can spit all you want to enemy, but I know that God has met me in my private time. Come on, man, I hope this is ministering to some folks. Then he says, when you arrive at Damascus, when you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, oh my goodness now, hang on a second. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my pro- wait a hang on a second i'm out of a job what god's revealing the plan listen i'm not saying he didn't like the plan but i'm 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 saying like scripture left out a few things like right here when 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 am i going to be replaced why am i being replaced you know all all these different things god's giving him the plan God's not asking him to like the plan. God's just saying, will you partner with me in the plan? And I will provide everything that you need, everything that you need, everything that you need. And he says, I want you to go and you're going to anoint these guys kings over these lands. And then you're going to go find the replacement, not that you choose for you, but I chose for you. You're going to anoint him as the next prophet over Israel and verse 17 anyone else who escapes Hazel will be killed by Jehu and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elijah and verse 18 I love this part he says I'll preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him wait didn't 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 Elijah when he was whining earlier say I'm the only prophet left Bro, God just saying there's 7,000 of them. There's actually more of them, but some of them have bowed down and kissed the, the, uh, the God of Baal. But there's 7,000 who have not. All right, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Why have they not bowed down? Why have they not bowed down? Many of them have never even met uh, maybe uh, Elijah. But look, what's happening is Elijah's impact went way further than he thought it did. This is important, family. Your impact, you do not, I do not realize the the long-stretching impact that our lives have on people. Listen to me, and I truly believe this is a prophetic word from the Lord. Out of all the people, I'm like, God, this is such a strange word. But Don, I'm giving it to you. The Lord says to me that, Don, there are people that you have impacted that you don't even remember their names, but they remember your name. That when you worked in the post office or wherever it was that you, that, that you were the regional guy, that there were people that you came into contact during your years with them that, you know, it may not even be that important to you, but it was so important to them, the impact that you made. 
bro, I don't know why God is using this time to let you know that, but it's just to let you know God has used you in amazing ways to impact people. It didn't seem like a big deal to you, but it was massive to them. And part of who they are, this massive part of who they are is accredited to your account, my friend. Okay, so you take that and see what God has done across our lives that we don't even know. We're not the only one. There's an impact that is so wide and so great because you have said yes to the Lord. All right, so let me wrap this up. Say this with me. The purpose of my private time is to reveal the plan of God and provide the power to produce it. I want you to listen to this. So our private time, when we get away and it's just us and our private time, that's where the fruit is gonna come. Most of the stuff that I said in this service today, you're gonna walk out here today and you're not gonna remember it. You're not gonna remember it. You might remember and go, that's a pretty good message. You know, how do you think that makes me feel? (laughs) I know it's not important what, as it's not important for, for me. What's important, that the nuggets that Holy Spirit needs to plant within us, that you get those. But here's the deal. You're gonna forget so much of this. Go into your private time. It's in your private time where it's just you and God. I'll give you a few little hints. When you go into your private time, don't, uh, don't, don't take hill songs with you. Don't take Jesus culture with you. Don't take those other places. If you have to have music, which I do like music, find you some instrumental music, and it'll be better if you didn't even find instrumental music that were familiar tunes, because what you'll do is you'll find yourself singing those songs along with them. You just need to get in there, get away, no outside things to hinder you, and just get alone with you and God. And here's how you can apply this message. Number one, seclude yourself. Seclude yourself and seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? I mean the infilling of God in your life where he's living in you, but God is also flowing out of you with your spiritual language. We call that speaking in tongues. If you have a problem with that, I'm just going to say, man, would you just go and pray about it and say, God, teach me the truth about that. I'll try to do it with you if you want, but it really comes down to like, God, what do you say? What, what? And I'm telling you what, God will reveal the truth to you. He will reveal the truth to you. Seclude yourself. Practice the, the prayer. Why is it so important? When you go into your own place, you can, and, and this is new to you. See, I can speak in tongues right now and it not bother me because I've, I've been doing that for so many. I've practiced it. I'm fluent in that. But I can remember a time where it's like I had to get, it was kind of like, a, you know, you, you're on your motorcycle and you're trying to do the clutch down to get that thing started. I'm like, I need a jump start because I don't know what to say. Like, you know how that comes? It comes just by being in his presence, being in his presence, getting in his presence, getting in his presence, doing it over and over and over and over and over again. Isolate yourself from the things that distract you. Like, listen, there's some things that, man, you might just need to say goodbye to. There are some things that you probably just need to say goodbye to. And 
Sometimes you know those things and sometimes you don't. That's why it's so important. Get in that alone time with God and say, God, show me, show me. Open my eyes to the stuff I can't see. And God will do that because he loves you. This is the last thing. I wanna encourage you to go back and re-listen to this message. I preached it on March 5th of this year. It's in the series called Superpower. Superpower. in, uh, in, uh, on the page on our website. And it, it's about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you what, it's a revelation that for me is one of the easiest revelations of understanding what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. I promise you it will be a powerful, powerful, powerful word into your life, into you receiving and not just receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with that evidence of speaking in tongues, but it will also uh, be a powerful element, uh, resource for you to practice that. Amen. So those are the three things that I feel like if you do this, that Holy Spirit is going to do something amazing in your life and make Pentecost more than just a story in a book, but he's going to make it personal to you.